Welcome to a new episode of Outside the Panels with your host, Johnny the Machine Hughes. Welcome everyone to an episode of Outside the Panels. I am, as always, I'm your host, Johnny the Machine Hughes. Machine being a little bit ironic this time around, for I'm talking to one of the writers of possibly some of the most ultimate machines in the world of science fiction, the Blade Runners and the Replicants. I'm talking to Mellow Brown. Mellow, so nice of you to join me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, Johnny. Yeah, you're more than welcome. So, um, your trade paperbacks due out on August 18th. This is the trade paperback of Volume 1 of Blade Runner Origins. All right? So, let's start at the top and work our way down. <laughs> How'd you get into Blade Runner? Um, actually, uh, got into Blade Runner in a very funny way, which is uh, Blade the <laughs> the initial date and release of Blade Runner. Um, like a lot of people, was a bit before my time. Whoa, so... whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's not go <laughs> that far. Check out the gray hair, dudes. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> this this gray beard is is, is, uh, is catching up right there. Um, I actually discovered Blade Runner via Tiny Toons on um, <laughs> on Fox Kids, I believe that was. They used to oh, my on. God. <laughs> and uh, they had, like, this very funny parody with, like, uh, Buster Bunny and Babs Bunny, where it's, like, real kids don't eat broccoli, blah, 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 blah. And that's how they kind of told if someone was a replicant or not. But the, the, the background world that they um, ended up showing was so cool in terms of like the cyberpunk nature and things like that mm -hmm. and i immediately just started like like just bugging my parents about it and they're like you're not old enough for this and uh <laughs> eventually the door opened and then i ended up diving fully into uh just cyberpunk and it was actually okay. a lead into it with other properties that were like taking bits and pieces of blade runner uh -huh. or blade runner did it like no other like um it, it was definitely worth the wait so yeah, cool. That is uh, that was my intro to that world. Excellent. Um, for me, for me, I re I remember uh, being on a summer holiday on the North Yorkshire coast of the UK, and I picked up the Blade Runner novelization for about a pound. And yes. uh, my <laughs> crazy, my parents were going through a bit of a divorce, and mm -hmm. after I'd read the book, on one of my uh, visits to my my dad, my dad was always giving me grief about reading proper science fiction because I was a Star Wars nerd. Like, mm -hmm. can't like Star Wars if you like you watch proper science fiction. That's what that was his <laughs> So I was like, Dad, I've read this really cool book. It's called Blade Runner. And he went upstairs and he pulled out a first print of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Nice. So I was like, Fair enough, Dad, you got me beat on that one. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Blade Runner is not your only writing credit. You've, you've written before, you've written for TV, correct? Yes, um, I was a staff writer on American Gods, and uh, that was with uh, Brian Fuller and Michael Green, uh, which was a really wild experience. Uh, and I've also been on uh, Calls, which is on Apple TV Plus. Okay. Uh, you can actually catch it on there now. And uh, there's some more stuff on the way that I'm really excited when we can finally announce it. <laughs> so yeah, don't worry. I'll turn the, I'll turn the tape off then. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right so how how different is it kind of writing for 
for TV as writing for comic books. And I noticed that the Blazer and Origins book, there's three writers. So does writing in a kind of a TV setting with the, with the traditional writer's room, does that kind of help you get into that kind of mentality where there's more than one voice trying to pitch an idea or a, uh, a beat of a story? Well, I'm very lucky to have uh, my co-writers, uh, both uh, Mike Johnson and Perkins. Um, uh, shout out to both of them right now. Um, in in regards to our experience in writers' rooms, we all have worked in um, other projects, whether that be video games or just uh, film and television. Uh, actually, met Perkins on the show that I mentioned before, Calls. Uh, when we we're over at Apple, and um, and that's kind of like how our like our friendship locked in and we were definitely <laughs> like this is the this is the project for us we like sci-fi stuff but um and the process that we have there is always in order for something to feel real in order for something to feel um like it i can't expect an audience mm -hmm. to be pulled into anything that i write if i'm not also having like a visceral reaction to everything mm -hmm. that i'm putting on the page and uh, and Perkins is exactly the same way. And the best thing we could do about that was take these characters and place our own experiences and and kind of mold them into what Blade Runner is. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that Blade Runner hasn't covered in terms of uh, society. Mm -hmm. There is a very strong laser focus on um, like Deckard and specifically the replicants. Mm -hmm. But there's just these people you see kind of like in the gray in the background. Right. So by um, focusing on like we we want to take like almost like the Dark Knight approach right. where by the end of that movie, you're like, I know what it feels like to live in Gotham City. Right. OK. And cool. like, it sucks. <laughs> 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 there's bombs everywhere. There's a killer clown. There's like yeah. a, like it, everyone. Everyone in that city has been through it by the end of the Dark Knight. And giving Blade Runner a feeling of that, where you're just like, I know what it feels like to live in Cyberpunk 2009 LA. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and by having like a larger cast of characters, which you'll see soon coming up in more issues. So, yeah. Cool. So it's interesting you bring up the whole kind of the wider scale, because obviously in the movie, you have those great big cinematic kind of shots that establish you know, the city is this great big sprawling, um, I'd say metropolis, but that's copyrighted somewhere else, uh, sprawling <laughs> cityscape that kind of just goes on forever. And when we meet Deckard, he's kind of living in the bowels of that and he's eating God knows what instead of proper food and stuff. So how did, how did you kind of think about, well, you know what, there are other, there are other um, shades of grey behind the, the, the key characters, you know, there is, yeah. fair, you've got Deckard, yeah, and you've got Rachel, and you've got the Tyrell Com Corporation, and all that stuff, but there are other people, there are, it's a sprawling cityscape, so how did you kind of look for those voices, I suppose, and those characters, and, and how to effectively represent them? Yeah, I think a big part of it was actually looking into what we were allowed to uh, dip into and what we were able to talk about. There's things that I can't even discuss um, that have to do with all of the Blade Runner <laughs> mythology okay. uh, uh, because of the mystery of uh, 
is like uh, tons of people still ask me um, when I whenever they find out I'm writing it. Like, so is Deckard a replicant, or I'm like I and just back away. And um, but the I think the main thing that I, I've focused on really heavily um, personally is the concept of what a Blade Runner is and what the movies mm-hmm. are trying to say and what Ridley Scott wanted to say, what Michael Green wanted to say, which is essentially Blade Runners are are slave catchers. And what we see them do in the entire process of these movies are they don't want to do it anymore by the end of their stories. Yeah. Um, they they hit a point where they're just like, I realize what I do is shitty. And like it mm-hmm. and that's kind of what makes it very noir. It's mm-hmm. uh it is the deconstruction of the individual that you watch, your protagonist mm-hmm. hitting this point where they're just like, What I'm doing is very shitty. Yeah. And I think that was the the entire point of the final cut, where uh-huh. the final cut actually takes the image of Deckard and shows him as the villain. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have his narration. And mm-hmm. more importantly, and when we, the, the classic Tears in the Rain scene delivered by Rutger Howard, yeah. that moment is actually showing that uh, he allowed himself to be shot by Deckard. Yeah. Uh, which is um, his presence of saying, like, I am more human than you in this moment. Mm. And, but Deckard still pulls the trigger out of fear. So it's a question of what's human. Yeah. And in our definition, are we cynical or optimistic about it? And are replicants more optimistic about that term? Mm. So digging it with, with that information there is sort of like, where did this all start? Where where yeah. are these characters coming from? Because they're about to go into a very dark path yeah. into this relationship. So finding where these people are and being more fortunate of having a timeline that feels we're in a world that feels a little bit closer to ours, but still very distant. We don't have flying spinners. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we're able to see how do you get from point A to point B mm-hmm. and what drives these characters into this sad point where it's just like, are we all products at this point? Like, not just a replicant, but like yeah. everyone that's working here. I don't, you know. I've never even thought of that angle of that movie. I've never even seen. To me, being old school sci-fi, I hear replicant. I think I think android. I think you know. I don't. Mm-hmm. And when you think android, you think tool. You know, the thing that's supposed to make your life easier. I never thought of it from that point of view at all. You know, and it's kind of in the um, in the opening crawl actually. They even mentioned like both opening crawls to both movies bring up the word slavery, yeah, uh, and how uh, replicants are like once they become realized and they wake up and they're just like this is these are the conditions that I live under, mm-hmm. and uh, I have like other people who are stuck under this. I don't even have a society because I have no rights or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That is why they run, and that is um, they're they're just like I need to be anything but this. So then, do you think there's a correlation between the Blade Runner and, mm-hmm. say, the Sandman from Logan's Run? Uh, yes. There, uh, I think there's um, the context there is always the the concept of... Um, Keeping the society the, safe. That's what the Sandman practically do, isn't it? It's like, yeah. this, is your, this is your set structure, and you've got to go... 
when you hit 30 that's it you're done for yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the sun the, so I'd, I'd be screwed twice over um so the um maybe not that old but still um and the sandman are there to ensure that that happens and when you have a runner it's the sandman that puts them to sleep to maintain the the structure, the structure of society yeah like, uh so that way the status quo never breaks and uh you haven't developed a new minority um yeah. because we eliminate them anytime they surface mm-hmm. and the blade runner is that the blade runner is 100 percent the villain of their own story every time mm. and um i think uh looking into the franchise as we start to explore both uh, the new anime on the way and new stories and even the different books that we have going right now mm-hmm. uh every blade runner runs into that path um uh, mike johnson doing amazing work over on 2029 um immediately um his character ash she is bumping up against where uh like she no longer wants to be a blade runner and everything that's happening in her life is in regards to like you can't escape the things that you did mm. you um you are existing amongst replicants right now but replicants mm. also remember where in the first issue of that book she was enjoying ripping them apart and selling right. and selling the pieces and they're just mm. like that doesn't mean you're not a monster anymore yeah, so yeah like so there's yeah blade runners are definitely the villains of their own stories and it's interesting so so with your character your lead character in origins it's detective cal who kind (laughs) of uh stumbles onto um the potential for shenanigans shall we say over at the tyrell (laughs) corporation um so just to clarify before we go into story mode um this is a a trade paperback of the four issues all right we're not going to delve into the ifs and fours of all the four issues all right because <laughs> you know what i've i'm lucky enough to have read it mellow read it when he wrote it so we want you guys who are watching the pod to go and buy the damn thing so you know but you know there might be some beats that you're coming up and if you start shouting at me that is a spoiler well just remember issue one and four have already been out it's your fault you missed it the first time around all right there you go <laughs> fair warning <laughs> right so detective cal so your creation or a culmination of the three of you working together uh, it's a culmination um it, it the the concept of cal actually came from a team effort of mike johnson and uh perkins and mike johnson mentioned an incident um, where the Dr. Lydia Kine, who is uh, one of our lead characters in the story, was brought up in um, uh, an anniversary issue for his book. And then uh, Perkins came on and was just like, maybe Cal Monroe should be what's very interesting here. And then um, I jumped on the project and Cal Monroe has a lot of uh, my personal backstory um, within the military and a lot of what comes from that. and. Um, a lot of what uh, his experiences are from being like, I was in a low income neighborhood, I went to the military and I probably should have stayed in a low income neighborhood. <laughs> and um, in terms of um, him finding, him basically discovering I am a product, right. which is not that different from the perspective of when replicants discover that about themselves. Yeah. And the beauty of um, what this story does is that everyone discovers in a way 
I am a product of my of society and the things that the, the machinations that are higher than me, mm-hmm. especially in the cyberpunk universe where everything and everyone is owned. Mm-hmm. And this is a story about what people are doing about that. Right. And the ramifications of it will uh, change the way everyone will look at Blade Runner in the future. And yeah. I can't wait for people to see why. Right. Okay. So was it, was it a conscious choice? Because if Blade Runner, the original, the Android's dream of electric sheep, there was, I don't think, I'm going back a while. <laughs> so, so bear in mind, you know, look at my gray hair. I read it when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> I don't think I don't think reading the book I was aware of any sort of predetermination that Deckard was obviously going to have to be a white character or anything like mm-hmm. that. Cal is a person of color. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at some other social ideas that are getting put in uh, that you're bringing into your book, the Blade Runner Origins book. Do you find that? it's easier or harder to represent today's society in something like Blade Runner that's futuristic, you know, where, because on one hand you've got stuff like Star Trek and everybody's equal and everybody loves each other. Nobody ever argues on the Enterprise, have you noticed? Nobody ever argues. <laughs> it's like, Captain, you're flying into a little black hole. Yes, that's right, I am. And nobody bats an eyelid. It's crazy, you know? So how easy is it to kind of get today's I guess, societal needs, and they are societal needs, you know, everybody yeah. should re- everyone should be represented um, across the board, right? Mm-hmm. So how easy is it to get those sort of those societal needs uh, into something that is kind of futuristic, such as Blade Runner, even though I know that Origins is set 10 years before the original movie, we're still yeah. talking like that neo future style. Yeah. I think it's uh, I think it's pretty easy. Just like I think uh, even the the concept with uh, Star Trek is pretty easy because like the the entire concept of Star Trek, which I closely discovered by accident, was uh, <laughs> it's it's the Navy. Like yeah, you, yeah. you you can't disagree. You're going to the black hole. <laughs> like you're, it's happening. <laughs> yes, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Full steam ahead, um, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and with a lot that's happening in uh, Blade Runner and real life right now, I would say if you were to look at the conditions of the world, um, both in terms of uh, uh, political and literal climate, um, a lot of what is happening there is um, we're, we're in what is the, the, the precursor to what mm-hmm. cyberpunk will be. Okay. Um, as long as we're, we're giving out money to, Am- to Amazon, they may send uh, <laughs> a bunch of Amazon carriers into space to go get a xenomorph. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> hell, I don't even like spiders. Bring one of those back, and that's it. I'm done for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, having um, uh, using the context of what we already relate to on a day to day basis, and then applying it to Blade Runner, isn't very hard. Especially dealing with um, uh, one thing that um, myself and Perkins were very happy to do was to introduce a character in here without getting to spoilers um identifies as something that we haven't seen in blade runner before and is later pronounced to be a trans character but and that's dealing with 
identity mm -hmm. and the value of bodies, which already is yeah. Blade Runner. Yeah, definitely. The minute that a, a replicant realizes, like, I am, I am a person. I am not a thing. I I can make my own choices. I know what I like and I dislike. Uh, I hate pain and I want to live. That's a person. That's not. Yeah, that's, 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 that's not that's, a thing. That's fresh out, definitely. And um, also the the concept of just like how am I valued? And mm. a, a replicant does not have rights. A replicant does not have um, like if, if a replicant was uh, basically going down the street and it was an obedient replicant and someone were to shove that replicant in front of a car and they were to be knocked back, there would be no legal action taken for the person that shoved them because they're just like, that's a product, that's a thing. That's, that's yeah. not, even though like it experiences that, remembers that is, has an emotional reaction. And- It's funny, uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny you mention this, cause I saw, I, I saw something on Twitter a while ago and it was, um, th there was, a robot who was trying to walk or do something you know mm -hmm. this is a real life robot by the way so like someone's built this robot it's trying to walk and then these two people are hitting it with a baseball bat and the robot, all, yeah. all the robot <laughs> knows is it has to put one foot in front of the other that's all it knows and yet my heart i, I couldn't watch it i, I had to turn it off i was like mm -hmm. i was near tears i was like stop hitting the robot why are you doing that there's no reason for it but it's... the robot was kind of like doing its, you know, it's kind of like it's not, but it's kind of like beating a dog and then the dog comes back. It's like, stop doing stuff, just stop yeah. doing cruel shit for shit, cruel reasons. I, I it, honestly, I was furious. It's, it's incredibly dark, <laughs> and like, it's one of those things where, um, so on our end, we don't know what the programming is inside of that robot, yeah. Like, if, if the response is just like like one thing we actually bring up is um two two things um that kind of show both the folly and the egotism of humans which is mm -hmm. a why did you what made you allow replicants to feel pain mm. which is so cruel um like you you did that for a reason and like a uh, part of it you have to wonder what the logic was involved with that and we get into mm -hmm. that and the second thing is like you can make them look like anything you chose to make them look like us how do you sleep at night with all this going on in your head <laughs> <laughs> i was just here to talk about comic books and now look at us we're like what's going on <laughs> but that is kind of like uh that, that's that's sort of like um the the response that people have to the overlook effect right like okay. it, it, in terms of like going to space and then looking down at earth and then there, there are people who are just like, eh, like, uh, that, that means nothing to me. There's other people who like lose it and they're just like, I am insignificant and I am just uh, like a microcosm of what this planet has to offer and everything I've had barely matters. And they just, they lose their minds from uh, just not, the overwhelming feel. I'm that person. I'm that person. I used to live in a very rural area, and um, I'd walk my dog on a on a on an evening, when, especially in winter when it gets dark early, and on a cloud on a cloudless night, you can just sit and look at the stars and just honestly, you feel that big. Yeah, which for me is also comforting. I don't know. I feel I feel that sometimes 
this is a little bit too dark, I suppose, but sometimes I felt back then that if I dropped off the face of the planet, would anybody even know that I wasn't there anymore? Because I'm like, that small. But, you know, hey-ho, I didn't. I'm still here. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, sorry to hear Sorry to hear that. But B, that is also one of those things that show, uh, like, uh, someone's extreme response to an overlook effect is a response of someone who empathizes and views the world yeah. in a specific way. I mean, we have a, so many billionaires going into space right now. <laughs> they came back exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. just, hmm. like, I own, yeah, yeah, yeah. I own that yeah. chunk right there. They, yeah. they, 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 that's what they're looking, they're looking down and thinking. See that? <laughs> See that? That's where I own. See this? This is what you yeah. own. Yeah. <laughs> Your bit of the planet's bigger than my bit of the planet. All right, whatever. <laughs> so um, we talk about the movies a little bit. So is the... Is it safe to say that the definitive director cut is your favorite cut of the movie? Or do you like all of the variants of the, the movie for different reasons? I would definitely say Final Cut. Um, yeah? Yeah, uh, Final Cut because it it does the reading. It, it, it makes sense. It makes sense why that was the final cut. Uh, I can yeah. see why a studio is just like, we're not, like the Blade Runner isn't the villain. Uh, we're not mm. making a movie about a villain. We're making a movie about, a you know, like, Cop shoots uh, bad robots. Pew pew. But <laughs> hey, I've seen that show. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Final Cut is like this very like you're going on this dark journey yeah. of people trying to discover themselves, and you're mm -hmm. following the man who's just like my job is to stop them from having that happen. And it is a reverse Alice in Wonderland, yeah. where every time he eliminates a replicant he is discovering more about himself and how much he regrets it to the point where by the end of the movie he is just like well i'm done with my badge like that was yeah to me i mean let's let's give a little bit of credit where credit's due at the start of the movies is that he ends up where he starts at the start yeah. of the movie is like he's out of it i'm done i leave me alone i want to eat my fish scales leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gets, yeah. put, he gets pulled back in and then so i think one of the biggest oxymorons for me when it comes to blade runner um, is that Marvel Comics did a movie adaptation and hey it looked yeah. great Al Williamson art but why on earth why on earth did Marvel Comics do it <laughs> I mean obviously they're thinking yay it's got Harrison Ford it's gonna be like Star Wars uh no, no. yeah I read I read that comic book when I was a kid and it made no sense hence I bought the book but you know <laughs> yeah, I actually it. haven't uh had my hands on that version of it before and like uh, like we as you know we aren't tied to marvel now uh -huh. and um it, it's not within easy access to me like the rest of the, the blade running products being released today but, but uh, if i ever see it in a comic book mart or in a in a sale somewhere i will i will certainly partake of the poundage and send that across to you i appreciate it I, I love alan, <laughs> i love alan, alan williamson's art i think it's great but you know from a from a the mature story to like and in fact what made it worse is they ran it in like chopped up bits at the back in a serial style in the back of a star wars comic so you're like you're buying it because like you're like you're a kid that likes star wars and at the back of the comic you get blade runner you know and the daryl hannah arts <laughs> bang on and she's half naked you're like what how'd i get this in star wars yeah, it 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 looks like uh, it, from what I've heard, it always sounds like it, it was um, made by. Um, I don't want to insult people either, but no, it was it was a tie-in book made to make money based yeah. on 
the theatrical race, which, which was the gumshoe yeah. detective style movie, um, which if anyone who loves the gumshoe realizes that after you watch the director's cut, it doesn't hold up all that well. But, yeah, you know. it, it, it's because it always sounds like it's like shooting replicants rules is what the, the, yeah, 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 the yeah. book is. Yeah. And then um, it, it's sort of like how um, I think the best. Uh, so this may be my favorite science fiction franchise uh, being uh, Mobile Suit Gundam. Um, um, oh, uh, it's, it's a Japanese uh, anime ah, franchise called Gundam. There you go. And uh, the the entire concept is, uh, you know, like the uh, kid gets inside of a robot and is fighting off uh, like other people in giant robots and they're more similar to Nazis. But the, our, the irony is that it's taking the idea of that very childlike story of a mm -hmm. uh, kid gets into the robot and save the world, but he is getting PTSD. He is All suffering right. from it. The robot has American flag colors, uh, and it's being ran on like the innocence of a child soldier who is slowly molding into um, a more heartless person who's like just counting the bodies because he's so yeah. good at doing his job now. So it's a complete parody of what we should be looking at in in science fiction, where it's like this robot looks cool, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it's like, but we aren't we. But there's subtext, <laughs> and just, yeah. Just imagine if that was the real deal when people were playing Call of Duty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, right, we're going to take a quick uh, break and advert for one of our favourite shows on the UCPN. Um, I don't think there's many Blade Runner toys kicking around. You yeah. never know; there might be some models in there. Uh, but here's <laughs> one of our. Um, is one of the adverts for the crisis in Toyverse. Everybody who watches this advert seems to love it. So here you go, and we'll be back in a couple of seconds. Wow, nice. <laughs> so then, <laughs> check out uh, Bob Bobo there with all the statues, figures across comic books, across TV, across uh, lots of different media. All right, there you go. Um, so we can't talk Blade Runner without talking Cityscape. All right. So I showed this a little bit earlier. I'm just going to do it again. So this is this is your artist. It's Fernando Dagino, is that right? Or Ferdinand Dagino? Yes, Fernando does an incredibly fantastic job on this book, and we, we all feel extremely lucky uh, to have him. That's, that just screams Blade Runner there, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how was it? 
when there's when there's the three of you i always sometimes think that writers end up being like mini editors who kind of like because it's their story and they kind of mold it and stuff and they're the guys that talk to the artists about whatever um how is it when there's you know there's this this three-headed beast kind of thing how is it that you know do you if your story point comes up and you think well hold on a second i didn't quite like this bit can you or is or does somebody take point on all that um i think it's more or less um it so in terms of writing this particular story it, it going back to we always want somebody to feel something visceral by the end of the mm-hmm. issue or have something to be very excited about like you don't walk away from a single fit issue feeling unsatisfied and uh-huh. like and a, and a major thing happened um what we do is we decide on that point and then we build around that and it's sort of like uh like oh this character uh is going to be shooting this character at some point in this issue um both the results of this and everything that happens before this um it's a crescendo that we should be writing around um because and it's a making everyone care about that moment and then b having these characters have realistic reactions to it and then bringing us along for that ride as well um don't get too close to spoilers in this (laughs) but (laughs) um but uh there's there's so much in regards to um to kind of like building that out and then fernando we what we're usually expressing to him is just the emotion of the scene um how it should feel and what these characters are like and we're very lucky to have him because he nails it he he kills it every time um even just knowing that like this is 2009 los angeles this mm-hmm. particular shot right here um where it's this beautiful sunset over um over the cyberpunk la the blade runners that we've seen before sunsets are very rare um mm-hmm. it, like the like just global warming has wrecked um just so LA said, in the movies you've got like the smog background as well between mm-hmm. just, which i thought was really quite clever because it indicates that whilst this may be cyberpunk, there is a still an element of realism in there. Yes, um, just it, it is. Uh, it, it, since we're seeing the year two thousand nine in this, things are. It, it is this version of the world dying out. Um, mm-hmm. The shift is coming, which is the entire theme of uh, our book. Cool, excellent, excellent. All right. So when we talk about Blade Runner, obviously you have an affinity for the for the book. Uh, do you read comics yourself now? Are you still in the comics? Yes, or... I do. All right. So, what are you reading right now? Uh, I am reading the Immortal Hulk. Um, right, okay. Like so many others, um, I lots of, am... lots of people seem to love that book. Like I must admit, <laughs> yeah. I've been diving into something's killing the children. Very good. Very good. And uh, I have also um, uh, Home Pilots. Uh, it's three nouns something something pilots something right. stone pilots but not stone temple pilots obviously but uh, <laughs> it's, um, it is it, it is definitely like a, a teenagers piloting um a haunted house like a mech All right. and the art is amazing the characters are very badass it's a lot of fun and um yeah cool excellent um so um something killing the children is brilliant Yes, definitely. Yes, it is. Um, if um, 
if you want to walk on the wild side try check out stray dogs stray dogs by image that's very very good nice. maybe maybe not sci-fi but you know if you want that emotional response that you're talking about no like uh, <laughs> writing this is definitely maybe dip into more stuff that is uh more fantasy <laughs> or right. going into other right. areas in sci-fi so, all right okay cool um okay so Blade Runner. If you're talking Blade Runner, you've got to talk about a certain little test. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. The Voight Kampf test. Now, thanks to the mm. wonders of today's uh, Tinterweb, I have managed to locate <laughs> for us. Um, boom. There we go. Here we are. It is the Are You Really Human test. Now, according to the website from which I took this, um, these are all questions that appear either in the movie or in the book. All right. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So everybody check his eyes for some blink response. Here we go. Someone gives you a calfskin wallet for your birthday. How do you react? I, I would accept it. it. You would appreciate it. Excellent. Good call. Your little boy shows you his butterfly collection plus the killing jar. What do you say? Oh, lovely. That's nice. But why do you keep the killing jar? Why don't you keep the killing jar for yourself? Nothing. I take my boy to the doctor. <laughs> Nothing. I take my boy to the doctor. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I went with. Um, you're watching television. Suddenly you spot a wasp crawling on your arm. How do you react? I scream, then grab the closest object to me, which happens to be a kind of sunscreen, and beat the hell out of it. I swat it away. <laughs> I kill it. I swat it. Yeah, I did that one as well. Yeah, excellent. You're reading a magazine and you come across a full-page nude photo of a girl, of a girl or a guy. You show it to your husband or wife, who likes it so much he or she hangs it on your bedroom wall. The guy or the girl is lying on a bearskin rug. I wouldn't allow that. I would take it down. Huh? Oh, uh, that'll be a huh. <laughs> yeah, I'm on that. Yeah. I agree with that one. While walking along in desert sand, you'd suddenly look down and see a tortoise crawling towards you. You reach down and flip it over onto its back. The tortoise lies there, its belly baking in the hot sun, beating its leg, trying to turn itself over. But it cannot do so without your help. You are not helping. Why? What do you mean I'm not helping? What's a tortoise? I don't know why I would flip the turtle over in the first place. Uh, what do you mean I'm not helping? <laughs> okay. Describe in single words only the good things that come to mind about your mother. Warm voice and cookies, music, love, summer, sun, books, movies, friends, laughter. My mother, I'll tell you about my mother. <laughs> I, might be, I might be editorializing on the tone here, sorry. Uh, warm voice <laughs> cookies. Yeah. My mother, I'll tell you about my mother. Uh, react to this. You become pregnant by a man who runs off with your best friend. You decide to get an abortion. I would never have an abortion. What do you think? What do you think I'd do with my boyfriend? And okay, I think there's a first time for everything. Um, the last one. Yeah. Okay. React to this. You're watching a stage play. A banquet is in progress. The guests are enjoying an appetizer of raw oysters. The entree consists of boiled dog stuffed with rice. The raw raw oysters are less acceptable to you than a dish of boiled dog. Is that disgusting? I wouldn't eat boiled dog. Not true. Not true. 
not true. All right. Test is over. How many answers do you think were given by machines? That's machines other than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, three. Three. Oh. All right. What do you think of the test? Was it fun? It was boring. It will not affect your results. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. There you go. How rude would it be to say Let's see. <laughs> so you are human or a droid? Not bad. You are mostly human. You probably choose some of the same answers given by Cleverbot. There you go. You're almost Can't there. Can't wait to tell my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Getting close. Getting close. I'm almost there, man. Almost there. It's funny because in the because you see the void conf a couple of times in the movie, don't you? Because yeah. the first first on the uh, the worker gets it, and then he he I think he kills him at the the tortoise question, and yes. then you see Decker do it again. Um, a couple with a worker and with Rachel. I think he does it with Rachel as well. Um, to try and get like a baseline. Of course, he doesn't know what we know. <laughs> <laughs> cool. there's, there's so much depth in terms of uh, how the boy camp is used as well. And uh, that's a question that we bring up in the book. Uh, way later, you'll, where, you'll where? That, yeah, you'll be seeing that in volume three, where um, there's a discussion of where it's like, where did the void camp come from and has it ever been used on a human yeah um, and who says those questions are yeah th yeah that's all uh, it's a good good avenue to go through it's in, mm -hmm. it's an interesting point you bring up with Ian Eloy is that the book is set 10 years before the movie right mm -hmm. right okay so each arc what sort of time frame are you talking about for each arc so each book's what issue one through four is that like a year like the 10 years before <clears throat> Volume two, is it like eight years before or, or is it kind of not as, see what I'm getting at? So without uh, ruining too much, the first arc of it uh, is within the span of about three days. Mm -hmm. And the second arc, uh, which is almost one full arc itself, really the whole thing is really one arc. It was like the, the one year, um, it, arc two and three are only one week. All right and uh within that time it's because we thought about that for a while it's the level of if a replicant were to go wild then immediately everything would explode <laughs> yeah yeah that's why the four year uh, yeah. things built into them right or mm -hmm. alleged, allegedly built into yes them. <laughs> okay cool so so do you therefore see this as an ongoing story chopped into mini arcs the kind of over arc as well yes um uh, as so far as what uh from what we have had a plan it's been these tiny little um well can't say tiny we to say that it is just a story um in like this very like insular and that only holds the characters that we've seen in volume one would also be untrue um what we're going to see is from the perspectives of um other parts of la that have never been explored within uh blade runner cool. before but we but exists outside in the real world and how they would be in a cyberpunk world <laughs> so by having those little chapters you're able to have parallel stories that kind of mm -hmm. create this powder keg and um within like this one particular week that we're telling in this part of the story it it all 
adds up into something small that blows into something big and then you'll be able to have more stories happen afterwards whether you want to explore more cal mm -hmm. or potential spinoffs or whatever whatever it's like then i would like to do next but uh the, the the door is wide open there i feel sorry for the guy that has to work all your continuity out that's all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, they'll have many characters to choose from <laughs> yeah it's gonna be like pieces of, it'd be like pieces of paper all over the place with like well, what's this character doing? What's that character doing? Yeah. it'd be like a, it's always sunny in philadelphia uh, <laughs> Yeah, always sunny in there, LA. Watch out for the <laughs> the runners. All right, so um, Blade Runner Origins Volume One, the collected four issue book, is out on August the eighteenth. Go check it out at your local comic book shop. It's from Titan Comics, so it'll be available online as well. I am pretty much well sure. Cool. Um, what would you say? What would be your final word to induce? somebody if you're going to use your force like powers uh to check out blade runner yes. origins what would be your final sort of like selling point um accept new knowledge but never give in to astonishment there you go there you go what a good message all right <clears throat> mellow don't disappear at the end because we're just going to run some credits um guys thank you so much for joining me and uh mellow as we talked about blade run origins really do appreciate mellow thank you for taking time out of your schedule i won't tell everybody that you know you have got meetings after this and before that so i'm not your only person i'm not i won't say that we'll keep that between you and me uh <laughs> i'm joking appreciate that you're welcome Shh, don't say um don't forget to check out the ucpn for all your favorite uh shows including crisis in the toyverse uh, Flipside Focus, which focuses on indie books, which, you know what? We might just have to have another pop at this Blade Runner book just to give it some more love. And of course, if you want to go old school, don't forget to check out the Old Timers comic book show where the hosts aren't old, but the comics most certainly are. You never know that Blade Runner Marvel book might just make an appearance shortly. Who knows, right? All right. So, Mello, thanks for taking time out of your um, busy schedule. I know you've got a lot going on, no joking aside. So, thanks so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was uh, this was fun, an honor, Good. and a pleasure. Well, thank you for producing and working on such a great book. I absolutely enjoyed reading it. And thank you for kind of, you know, giving me something to think about, about Blade Runner. So, I really do appreciate that. You know, I'm going to have to go back and have another another bash at the, the movie with that in mind now so yeah thank you for that okay thank you all right so this is join the machine hughes saying adios visit undercovercapes.com for the latest and greatest podcasts via the undercover capes podcast network also visit our parent company website comiccrusaders.com all about comic pop culture